Thank you, thank you so much, Pastor Peter. Yes, after you've shared, nobody will come and take my class. That's going to be a problem. Uh, it's really a blessing. It is a joy. It's a privilege to be here with you today. I've heard so much about your church. This is the first time I've been in your worship service. So I'm a first-time visitor as well. Okay, now I know there are a lot of visitors who are here. Um, and I, I, I pray that you'll be blessed by this word today. Uh, now, you already know my name. My name is Dennis. And uh, I still remember there was this one time uh, when I shared with someone, I said, hey, my name's Dennis. And they asked me, is this a Christian name? I thought that was a really strange question. And so I was like, well, the name Dennis isn't found in the Bible. So I don't know whether you want to call it a Christian name. But I tell you something special about my name. Try spelling my name backwards. My name is D-E-N-N-I-S. You spell it backwards, it actually spells S-I-N-N-E-D. Sind. And so I told the guy, you know, if you spell my name backwards, you'll find it all over the Bible. <laughs> so I guess it is a Christian name, right? Uh, I like to share with people that when I received Jesus into my life, uh, God turned my life around. So once upon a time, I sinned. And then God changed my name around. And that's how I became Dennis. Yeah. So for sure, you remember my name right now. <laughs> Now, I bring you greetings from TCA College, TCA College where I serve as the president. Um, I, I recognize that there are quite a number of you who have studied at TCA, some have graduated, some are currently still studying. Many of your pastors have studied with us in TCA. Let me just take a few moments just to share a bit about uh, the college. I have a slide uh, with the full list of all of the programs uh, that are found at TCA. So I just wanted to put, I hope that you can just put it up uh, so that you can just take a look at the uh, various programs that you can find there with us. We have both full-time as well as part-time programs, both in English as well as in Chinese. Uh, and in particular, I just wanted to highlight that we have now uh, we have launched a fully online uh, Master of Arts in Christian Studies, an MA in Christian Studies. Now, this program is fully online. Uh, you don't even have to step foot on campus. You can if you want to, obviously. You can always come and look for us. Uh, but this is a fully online program. So if you take this, uh, you can still travel. Uh, you can go on your holidays. <laughs> you, can, uh, you may be working remotely, or you may need to manage your schedule a little bit because I know uh, all of us have very uh, flexible schedules right now, a program like this is really meant to cater uh, to our day, our time, and the kind of uh, family work life that we have. So if you want to find out more about our programs, I invite you to come and visit us on our website, www.tca.edu.sg. But moving on to my message today. Now, I know that uh, here at Grace, uh, you've been going through the book of Exodus, right? You've been going through, and I have to pronounce it as Exodus, right? I, I learned that. Uh, now, uh, I, because I know you've been preaching so much on the front, from the front few books of the Bible, I decided I didn't want to clash with you guys, so I'm preaching from the last book of the Bible, okay? 
Yeah, so I turn with me to the book of Revelations. Revelation uh, chapter 2, the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, I'm going to be reading from verse uh, 12 to verse 17. Now, this is a message drawn from the church in Pergamum. Uh, I believe that this letter is highly relevant for us today. Why? Well, because this letter teaches us to be faithful. It tells us how to live faithfully in a faithful, faithless world. And that's my message today. Faithful living in a faithless world. That's the title of my sermon. Now, how many of you want to live faithfully for Jesus? You want to do that? Yes, I believe all of us want to do that. And that's why we need to pay attention to God's word here in Revelation 2. Reading from verse 12, it says here, To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. And yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Let's pause there for a moment. Now, the church in Pergamum was confronted with the challenges, with opposition to their faith. And the text here, it says that this is the place where Satan has his throne. A place where Satan has his throne. How many of you would like to live in such a place? How many of you think you're living in such a place? <laughs> is this a place where there's some kind of a mystical portal which transports you to hell? Is this a place where maybe Dr. Strange, he opens this door into the multiverse of madness? Well, nothing quite so fancy. You see, for many people, the letters in, to the seven churches in Revelation, they are very mysterious. But once you learn the cultural, the historical context, you'll be able to understand what these letters are all about. And that's why you need to come to study at TCA, okay? Now, you see, in this city in Pergamum, it contained numerous temples to pagan deities. And the city was situated at the top of an acropolis. At the top of an acropolis. Uh, I have a slide here, a slide which shows the skyline, if you want to call it. Now, you'd see this as you were approaching the city of Pergamum. If you look at the skyline, immediately what you will see is a huge altar to Zeus. At the top right-hand corner there, you'll see an altar to Zeus. And then you would see, uh, if they were still standing, I, I mean the buildings are now gone, you would see a, the temple to Emperor Trajan, to Caesar Trajan. And then another temple to the Greek god Dionysus. And there were many, many other temples, but these temples would uh, stand out against the city skyline. Now, if you're wondering what the view at the top of the Acropolis looks like, I have another slide that shows you the view. 
Uh, and this was actually taken uh, by a friend of mine who visited the place. Okay, so this is an uh, actual photo from that place. Now, I want us to take a better look at the altar to Zeus. The altar to Zeus. And Zeus, of course, is the king of the Greek gods. You can, looking at the picture, you can just imagine Zeus sitting there right in the center with sacrifices being offered in front of him. Now, uh, the remains of this temple were actually excavated and they were assembled in a, muse a museum in Berlin. Uh, and that's a picture of the museum in Berlin. Berlin. And just for the scale of it, you can see the size of the people. Okay? I, I use this picture particularly so you can get a sense of the size of this place. It actually resembles a throne room. A throne room where Zeus sits. And this might be one of the reasons, one reason, why Pergamum is called the place where Satan has his throne. Another possibility is that there were just so many pagan temples. You know, I was just already talking about that. So many pagan temples in this city. It was full of pagan deities, of pagan worship, a place where Satan has his throne. Now, moving on uh, from the altar to Zeus, we come to a Roman temple at Pergamum. And this temple was previously built to Caesar Augustus. It, it was at the highest point, the highest point. Now, the temple... Uh, that was built to Caesar Augustus, or so subsequently uh, it, it uh, was rebuilt as a temple to, the, to Caesar Trajan. So the remains that you see today is that to Caesar Trajan. But, you know, the Romans, now the Romans had this very, very interesting system. Uh, they would require every single one of their Roman citizens Every year, you would have to go to a Roman temple and you would have to offer a pinch of incense to the spirit of Rome. And as you did that, you would have to declare uh, Caesar is Lord, Kaiser Curios. Otherwise, if you did not do this, you would be considered as disloyal to the empire to the Roman Empire, and you would be charged with treason and put to death. Now, Christians, they could not do this. Why? They could only declare Jesus is Lord, Jesus Kurios, not Kaiser Kurios. And because of this, many Christians were persecuted. They were put to death. They had to face the whip, the lion, the sword, or the stake. And this is very likely what happened to Antipas. Antipas, who's mentioned there in verse 13, he was a victim of persecution against Christians. So, in the midst of all this, how did the church of Pergamum respond? Well, look at it, verse 23. Jesus declares, You remain true to my name. You know, that's amazing. 
You remain true to my name. This was a faithful church in a faithless world. And the very first lesson that we can learn here is that we must be resolute. We must be resolute against opposition. See, God calls us to be resolute in faithful living even when the whole world opposes us. Now, persecution still exists in the world today. At TCA, you know, we, we have students that come from many different countries. And I can tell you, even as I interact with them, that persecution is very real in their home countries. Just this week, uh, we had a student, uh, I, I won't share which country he's from, but he came uh, during our community lunch and he shared with me, he was just telling me, Pastor, can you pray for me? Because my dad, his dad was just arrested back in his hometown. He was arrested because there were complaints made against the church that his dad was leading. And so he asked me, Pastor, can you just pray for me? Pray for my family. Pray for the church. But here in Singapore, you know, I know we don't have something as dramatic as that. No, we don't. And I thank God for that. But there are still many, many Christians who face opposition from family and from friends simply because they are Christians. You know, as a pastor, believers have shared with me about hostile parents and siblings, spiteful words, hurtful actions, anger, rejection, harassment, and all of this because these believers choose to follow Jesus. And then there's the workplace. Now, I know Christians face opposition at the office. And maybe, maybe some of you here have, have experienced that too. You know, there was one brother that I know. He shared with me that when his boss found out he was a Christian, the boss said to him, So you believe in God and the saints? Do you know who I believe in? I believe in Adam Smith and John Maynard Keynes. And maybe you should reconsider your career. And then there are colleagues who will ridicule you because you're a believer, make you the butt of their jokes, or pass sarcastic remarks. Maybe they call you a Jesus freak. When I was in the army, I still remember, that was how they referred to me. They would call me a Jesus freak because I would read my Bible. One of my church members was actually told to remove Bible verses from his desktop wallpaper because the boss didn't like Christians. And he was working in a bank. And I kid you not, it actually happened. And you know, sometimes I wonder, I wonder why the world seems to dislike Christians so much. And yet I know, I know that there are Christians who are bad testimonies, who are hypocrites. I know that. But does that justify the hostility to the rest of us? And because of this opposition, I know some believers, some believers become secret Christians. You know, God calls us to be a light of the world, the light of the world, to be a lamp put on a stand but we put our light under a bowl. We hide our identity so that we don't have to face the opposition. But my friends, is this what 
Jesus desires. Is this what Jesus desires of us, of the church? You know, Martin Luther King, he said this, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. My friends, what will challenge and controversy reveal about you, about us? We must remain resolute against opposition. But let me also acknowledge that some of us here today, you have stood up for Jesus. You've stood up for Jesus in the face of opposition. And because of that, you've endured. You've endured. You've endured insults, hurtful words. And if you're facing opposition because you believe in Jesus, let me share this word of comfort. Jesus was persecuted too. And Jesus knows the situation that you're in. Jesus knows where you are, what you're facing. And in fact, do you know this? Jesus knows you by name. He knows you by name. He knows every single one of his faithful followers by name. And that's how Jesus, he knew about the church in Pergamum. He could even name Antipas because Jesus knows the names of his faithful followers. And Jesus knows. Jesus hears. And Jesus cares. My friends, Jesus is calling us to keep our eyes focused on him, to keep our eyes focused on eternity. Why did the church in Pergamum, why did they stay faithful despite opposition? I believe it's because they found something that was so right, something so true, something that they would cling on, a treasure which was more valuable than anything that this world had to offer. A peace that nobody could steal from them. And that's why they stood faithful to Jesus. And my friends, we need to do the same. And so I exhort you today, be resolute against opposition. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 2. Let's continue reading on from verse 14. Revelation 2, 14, it continues to say this. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And my second point today is that we need to be watchful against compromise. We need to be watchful against compromise. If we want to live faithfully in a faithful world, we need to be watchful against compromise. We see this issue happening in Pergamum. See, they ate food offered to idols. 
they, they, they committed sexual immorality. Now it says some of the people, okay? So no, don't, don't go away thinking that everybody in this church was like that. No. It said some of the people. They hold to the teaching of Balaam. And you can find the story of Balaam in Numbers, Numbers chapter 22 and verse 25. And I, I invite you to go back and read about this story about Balaam. Now, there was a bad king. In Numbers 22, you'll find there was a very bad king by the name of Barak. And Barak, he had tried to bribe a prophet called Balaam. So there's a king called Barak, there's a prophet called Balaam. He, and the king tried to bribe the prophet to curse the Israelites. And Balaam, you know, he tried to curse them. But every single time he opened his mouth, God would change his words so that he could not curse them. And instead, he ended up blessing the nation of Israel. They, you know, he couldn't harm Israel because God was protecting his people. And so instead, Balaam, he taught Barak to cause Israel to compromise. To compromise. In Numbers chapter 25, it says that Israel ate food offered to idols. And this man, that Israel, they engage in idol worship. They engage in idol worship in, in, in pagan practices. And they also fell into sexual immorality. In other words, Israel compromise their worship of God. They compromise on their devotion to holiness. Now, how is this relevant to the church at Pergamum? Well, you, 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 again, you need to understand what was happening uh, in ancient times. You see, uh, there were trade guilds, trade associations that were very, very active uh, in the city of Pergamum in ancient times, in all the cities actually, and in order to be a merchant, in order to be a businessman, a business person, you needed to be part of these trade associations, this, this network. You have to be a member. Now, if you're not a member of this network, nobody would do business with you. The problem was that these trade associations, they would have their own patron deities. Their own patron deities or pagan idols. And to be part of this trade association, you would need to join in the worship of that pagan deity. And there would often be festivals, feasts dedicated to these idols. And participating in these feasts, they were a form of worship to the idols. But if you don't do all these activities, you could not do business in the city. Nobody will want to do business with you. I mean, how are you going to get all your contacts? How are you going to close all your deals? And deals were closed at the sidelines, you know, of all of their gatherings, of all of their feasts. And sexual immorality was rampant in their society. These took place, this took place at the idol feasts. They actually had temple prostitutes and so people slept around. You know, sometimes it was business and sometimes it was pleasure. And apparently, some of the Pergamum Christians were engaged in these practices. 
I know you might be sitting here and you might be thinking, hey, wait a minute, pastor, you know, what else do you expect them to do? They need to earn money, right? They need to eat, right? They need to provide for their families. And if they don't do all this, they can't do business. A little bit of compromise. Okay, what? God knows my heart. Otherwise, how to get rich? And doesn't God want me to be rich? God's priority is not riches, but righteousness. Not possessions, but purity. Not comfort, but character. And my friends, God will not tolerate compromise. God will not accept accommodation to the world's standards. And the reality is that the devil, he's using the very, very same tactic against the church today. Persecution could not destroy the church. Persecution through all the centuries has never destroyed the church. The church has thrived in the face of persecution. And so now the devil seeks to tempt us to compromise on God's standards. The devil, he attacks us as a roaring lion. And if that doesn't work, then he comes as a deceiving serpent. Because if persecution doesn't work, seduction definitely will. The values and the standards of this world can easily be seen infiltrating into the church. God's laws are seen as old, old-fashioned, archaic, out of date. And so, you know, lies, lies are just simply stretching the truth. Sexual promiscuity, sexual promiscuity, promiscuity, it just becomes an expression of freedom, of love. That's what the world will tell you today. Free to love. Bribery, bribery is a lubricant that's needed to oil the gears of business. And casinos, casinos have become world-class family resorts. And as believers, as Christians, we need to guard against compromise, my friends. As parents, we need to guard our families against compromise. Compromise in allowing the standards, the values of this world from infiltrating into our families. Have we fallen into Balaam's trap? Are we making excuses for ourselves? See, my friends, I believe that the greatest threat to the church today is the lure of compromise. How about us? Have we been tempted to compromise? How do we treat the people around us? Our friends, our colleagues, our bosses, our customers, our clients. Are we honest? Are we fair? Are we maintaining our integrity? Are we stepping on people, stealing recognition, twisting the truth? No, a business person I know, he shared with me the very, very real temptations that comes uh, in doing business. And what they do is, is legal, definitely, but not necessarily ethical. Another friend spoke to me about the temptations of working in procurement. 
the evaluation of vendors, awarding of contracts, the issue of kickbacks, channeling uh, business, businesses to, uh, their business to their friends. I came across a testimony by Stephen, Stephen Riadi. And Riadi, he is the executive chairman of OUE Limited. He's also the chairman and executive director of Lippo Limited. And Stephen Riadi is a Christian, and he is well known as a Christian. Riadi, he was given the opportunity to develop a huge plot of prime land in South Korea. 200 hectares of land. This included development of an integrated resort with a casino and other attractions. And this integrated resort was a key part of their overall proposal, of their project. You know, his company, they would make 1 billion US dollars from this project. 1 billion US dollars. But then Riyadi, his, his Christian friends started to challenge him. How can a Christian build a casino? How can your, your company build a casino? And he can answer, you know, it's a small part of the project only. Small part. What was Riyadi supposed to do? His company, his company had already, by that time, had already put three years of hard work. They had formed partnerships. They had received approval from the South Korean authorities. And what Stephen Riyadi did was that he went into a personal retreat for 10 days. He spent time praying, seeking God. And then in his words, and I quote, and I have his words up on a slide, he says this, Ultimately, I had to decide whether to cling onto my own plans or put aside my own self-interest and follow his commands. Finally, I decided that we should give up the project. I made this decision rationally but also with Christ's wisdom. While the project was lucrative, I knew that going ahead with it would run contrary to my own values and would not please God. And so, as the executive chairman, he pulled his entire company out of this project. Riyadi, he chose not to compromise. And it cost him. It cost him his company. It cost him relationships with the other companies, with his network of friends. It cost him. You know, a friend of mine once said this. We can work a job. We can make compromises. We can earn lots of money. And we can eat good food. You can compromise and then you can eat good food. Or you can refuse to compromise, walk away from business deals, and you can enjoy good sleep. Clear conscious, peace inside. Good food or good sleep? My friends, choose good sleep. Good sleep. See, Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives and he's Lord of our livelihood. Lord of our lives, 
Lord of our livelihood. And so my friends, hear Jesus' words today. Be watchful against compromise. And I exhort all of us, let's make that commitment today to always walk in accordance with God's word, with God's will, with God's ways. We need to find someone to disciple us. We need to find someone that we can make ourselves accountable to. Someone who can come into our life, who can ask us, hey, how are you doing? How are you walking according to God's will? How's your family life? How's your marriage? How are your children? Someone to keep us accountable. Because brothers and sisters, that's why we need to be part of a family of God. That's why it is a misnomer to be a solitary Christian. And unfortunately, COVID-19 has caused us to become isolated, lone Christians, apart from the rest of the body of Christ. But we need to be one another, with one another. We need one another. We need to exhort one another, encourage one another, keep one another accountable. But my friends, you know, maybe some of you here, or maybe some of you online, maybe you are thinking, you know, I don't run a business. I don't face this kind of temptations, Pastor. You know, that's not me. Let me share with you another testimony. Another testimony of a sister uh, that I had a chance to get to know. Uh, and I'm going to call her June. Okay, that's not her real name. I'm just going to call her June. See, June, she's a campus student. And she was actually attending a leadership training course. An, uh, it was a national leadership training course. During this training course, there was an activity where all the students had to take a stand on different issues. Now, what the trainer did was that he put two uh, pieces of paper on the floor. There was the words agree and the words disagree. Agree, disagree. And what they were supposed to do was that he was going to read out certain statements and the students, they had to move to the side that they would choose, that they would pick whether they chose to agree or to disagree. So came the first statement. Racism does not exist in Singapore. Racism does not exist in Singapore. Now, June immediately went to the side that said, uh, disagree. Yeah, disagree is on this side, right? Sunny, I've forgotten what I said. <laughs> move to the side, disagree. And most of our friends would also move to the side. And they felt that, yeah, racism takes place in Singapore for some form or anything. And then came the second statement, second question. Homosexuality is acceptable. June was standing here and she began to feel a little bit uncomfortable because all her friends were with her. And all her friends began moving to the other side. Homosexuality is acceptable. They all agreed. And as one by one, everybody went over there, June, she began to feel more and more uncomfortable. And soon she found she was the only person standing on the disagree side. And all her friends who were standing on the other side, they were looking at her and they said, June, what's the matter with you? Come over here. 
What's the matter with you? Come on, join us. You mean that's your position? And she was the only person that stood on that side. And then the trainer asked her, Can you share your position? Why do you choose this position? So unique from the rest. And Jun, she was put on the spot. And what did she do? She stood up for her faith. Not arrogantly, not to put others down, but she stood for what she was convicted of. She stood up for Jesus. And she shared very boldly what her Christian convictions were. Humbly, but boldly. You know, June, she didn't get any personal benefit from doing something like this. Nothing at all. You know, she could easily have thought, ah, this is just a game. Lah. Who's going to remember whether agree, disagree, agree, disagree? Eh, eh, just join my friends. Just a game. But June couldn't do that. No. She knew she was called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. She refused to compromise. And I salute June for her convictions. My friends, what about you? What about you? What would you do in such a situation? One last point. You might be wondering, Pastor, why should I do everything that you're saying? Pastor, what you're teaching today seems like a very hard teaching. Why should I be resolute? Why should I be watchful in the very first place? Well, what does Jesus say in verse 16 and 17? Take a look at it. First, there's a warning in verse 16. Jesus says, I will come and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And this means that the wrath, the punishment of God will come against us. And this is a result of disobedience to God. And frankly, my friends, I would rather face the opposition of this world than to face the wrath of God. But then Jesus continues on. He speaks a blessing in verse 17. Look at verse 17. What does Jesus say? Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it known only to the one who receives it. He says that the faithful will eat the hidden manna. And this, what does this refer to? Well, it likely refers to the heavenly feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you can read about that in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 to 9. And he's pointing to that eternal joy, that blessing of being with Jesus in heaven, in the new heaven and the new earth. In Revelation 2.17, it also talks about a white stone with a new name. Now, it's not clear what exactly this stone with a new name, what exactly it is. For some, it was seen as a, uh, a, a ticket, if you want to call it, an entry ticket into the heavenly banquet. But there's another view that says that this precious stone is very similar to a victor's medal. A victor's medal that is inscribed with a new identity. And that God 
would give this out to those who persevere to the very end. A victor's crown. And regardless, Jesus is pointing us toward our future glory in the new heavens and new earth. A place where there are no tears, there's no sickness, where there's no death, no pain, no mourning. A place where Jesus Christ rules, where He is Lord of all. A place of joy, of peace, of abundant love, abundant life that is found in our Heavenly Father God. And that's my last point for today, that we must be faithful to Jesus, how to be focused on eternity. Be focused on eternity. Eternity is why we stay resolute against opposition. Why we stay watchful against compromise. You see, my friends, if our eyes are only focused on the here, the now, then we will fall. We will fail. But we have to remind ourselves, that this world, this world will pass away. Our time here on earth is but a wisp of smoke. Smoke. Our focus must be on eternity. Why settle for worldly trinkets when we can enjoy heavenly treasures? Why pursue fleeting pleasures of sin when we can have the eternal joys of everlasting life? See, my friends, Jesus came to earth in the form of a man and he died to pay the price for your sins, to wash away your guilt, to wash away our shame. He took upon himself our pain, our hurt, our wounds, so that we could be free. And it's a freedom that we enjoy right now. He defeated death through the resurrection. He did so much for us. Why? Because Jesus loves us. And Jesus now, He calls us to be faithful to Him. Why? Because we love Him. Our faithfulness it's a testimony of our love for Jesus. He died for us. And so we, we need to live for Him. Brothers and sisters, receive the life that you've always wanted. The life that comes from the one who loves us. The one who is the lover of our soul. Receive that life. Live a life of faithfulness following the one that you love. Come, let's pray. Put aside your Bibles. Put aside your notes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your word that is yea and amen. Your word that speaks to every single one of us. And Lord Jesus, I believe God that throughout this message, your word has been challenging hearts that are in this place. Your word has been speaking, unearthing, things that are hidden inside, exposing it. And Holy Spirit, I ask that right now you will do your will, you will do your way, you will have your way in this house because this is the house of God. And I believe, God, that you want to call all of us to arise up in faithfulness, to follow you and you alone, to say that we will stand against whatever the world may throw against us, we will stand against that which is in this world because God, our eyes are fixed on eternity. And we
we will not deviate from that path because we know the one who has called us is the one that we love Jesus Lord speak to every heart that is in this place speak right now in your name I pray with every head still bowed every eye closed I want to give two invitations today two invitations for prayer my friend you're sitting here today and as you're hearing this you want to make a commitment to stand faithful to Jesus you want to stay resolute despite the opposition you want to be watchful against compromise and you want to do this because you know that God has called the church to be faithful my friend if that is your heart's cry that is your desire I want you to raise your hands and tell Jesus Jesus I will live faithfully for you raise your hands my friends raise your hands if that is your prayer if that is your heart's desire we are in the house of God and He calls us to faithfulness in His house and if that is your your cry today God make me strong even in the face of opposition God make me strong even in the face of compromise and I know that this world is not easy and our journey in this world is not easy but Jesus make me strong oh God Holy Spirit fill me fill me oh God so that I will do that which you desire my friend if that is you that is your heart's cry that is your heart's prayer I want you to raise your hands and tell Jesus Jesus I will make that stand for you because I love you because I love you Jesus because you love me and I love you there's a second group in this place in this house today my friend you're in a difficult place you're facing challenges it might be at the home it might be in the office it might be persecution it might be hurtful words spiteful words and you say today Jesus I need your strength I need healing I need you to make me whole because there are things there are trials that I'm going through and Jesus I'm hurt and I need you Jesus today to come and touch me my friend if that is you I want you to raise your hands as well if you are facing challenges in your life if you're facing opposition and you've been hurt maybe in the family maybe by friends and you need Jesus to come and bring healing and wholeness in your life raise it to Jesus my friend Jesus knows your name he knows you by name and today he's here for you he wants to touch you I invite all of us to stand and in a few moments Pastor Victor he's gonna lead us in this song and as he leads us in this song my friend if you raise your hands if you want Jesus to come to strengthen you if you want to come and say Jesus I will make that stand for you I will be faithful in a faithless world I want you to come to the front I want you to come to the front as a testament of your commitment I want you to come to the front so that we can pray together as a church and say Jesus strengthen us Jesus fill us with the power of the Spirit so that we can make that stand for you so as Pastor Victor leads us right now I invite you brothers and sisters come come to this place of prayer oh God I look to you Jesus. I won't be overwhelmed give me vision if you need prayer come come to this 
this altar. To see things that like we can pray you for you. 